0: picked up a chapter book and read maybe chapter one, chapter two, and when you get done with that, you're like, I'm just not into the book yet, and so you just close it and say, I'm not going to read it. Whether you've checked it out from the library, you're returning it, like hopefully that's not for a class, like yeah, I don't want to read this, so you just don't and try and wing your way through it, but like, you know, books that you get to read for fun, you choose whether you're going to endure the rest of it, and some books catch you right off the bat, like there are things that you're drawn into a character or the plot, and so you're just excited to see where it goes and you can't put the book down. And so you continue reading all the way to the last page. Sometimes you give up sleep and stuff like that because you want to figure out what is going on. Then there's others that are a little bit slower. And movies are the same way. Sometimes, you know, it'll catch you right off the bat. Sometimes there's a lot of plot development. Sometimes you're sitting there half an hour in going, man, I'm still not seeing a plot here. So there's nothing to develop. And so you may turn it off, but you're trying to figure out where is this movie going? And sometimes a movie will begin right in the middle of an action scene. Like someone is running or there are bullets flying by, or you're falling out of a plane and you're trying to figure out what is going on. And then all of a sudden it says like six months earlier, or 12 hours earlier, whatever. And then it jumps back to be able to tell you what happened in the story, to take you up to the moment that it began, and then from that point on, it finishes the rest of the movie, the rest of the story. And I'm going to be honest, as I was reading Psalm 116 over and over and over again this week, I sometimes clump verses together when they're saying somewhat of the similar things. And I kind of felt it being like one of those movies that starts right here in the middle, and then it jumps back to bring you up to the to where you're at, and then it finishes the story. And so you got to hear Psalm 116 read from start to finish just a while ago at the beginning of service. And so I actually want to tell you the story of Psalm 116, where we do, we begin in the middle, all right? And I can almost picture this voice just simply saying, I love God. Now, what kind of voice? You know, is that like a Morgan Freeman? Is it a James Earl Jones? You know, is it whatever? I don't know. But you hear this voice just saying, I love God. This is the beginning of the story. And the question is, why? Well, because he hears me. And so in verses one and two, our psalmist writes this I love the Lord. For he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. And so he says, I love God because he heard my voice. He heard me when I was crying out for mercy. He gave me access to him. And because I have that access, I will continue to call out to him. I was thinking about this access. When was the last time that you were denied access to something? Like maybe some of you are thinking back to when you were a kid and you're like, you really wanted those cookies, you know, and your parents just said, no, you can't have the cookies. And you continually asked, you tried to put on the sad face, all that kind of stuff, but they would not give you the cookies. And you're like, ah, some of you are like, I don't have to remember like to being a kid last night, my spouse wouldn't let me have a cookie. So you understand that. Or even this morning, donuts, you weren't given a donut, you know, your spouse like, nope, we're on that diet, whatever. Like this access that we want. Sometimes it could be simple as like, I want to open a present early. Can I, can I, can I? And you're like told, no, no, no. And it's like, ah. you want that access. Um, Maybe you're at a concert and like you see the VIPs going backstage to get to talk, you know, face to face with whoever it is performing, but that's not you. You're so close and yet you still don't have complete access. Or I think about even just moments when I wish I had the chance, a second chance maybe to do my homework but your access is denied. Nope, you can't do that. Or maybe it's not homework, but a chore that you were supposed to do. And now you got in trouble for not doing it. Oh, can I make it up, please? And the answer is still no. Or maybe it's something even bigger and it was a, just a bad decision that you made. And you would love to be able to make up for it, but no matter what you do, the circumstances are saying, no, you don't have the opportunity at this moment. Like, I think about two days ago, I was denied access at Rock River Rapids. Now, it's not that I wasn't able to get in. My family had been there for three hours, had a good time, and it was time to go. So we went over to the lockers, and I was trying to get the lock undone. Now, I know the numbers. You know, I pull out this lock once a year when we go to Rock River Rapids, so, like, I know the combination on the back, and I'm trying to get it done. But I'm trying to do it quickly, because if you've ever been there before, the concrete is really hot where there's no water, okay? And on a hot day, so, like, I'm trying to get it as quickly as I can, and I am not able to the first try. I'm like, okay, I must've missed the number. Slow down just a little, tried it again the second time, still not getting it and trying to figure out what am I going to do? Like I need to go run, get my feet wet, something like that. Cause they're yelling at me. Third time, I finally got it quickly threw the sandals down, you know, stand on top of them. But I'm like, ah, like how much I was wanting to get in, you know, at all costs at that moment. And we just want access or I even think about a couple years ago how COVID caused so many of us not to have access to people, face-to-face conversations with family members that we wanted to. Or even some of you had to go through situations where there was a funeral that you were not allowed to be at just because of restrictions. And there are these times that we desperately want access to something or someone, but it's denied. And yet not with God. God. Like as we read this, the psalmist is saying, God, I love you because you continually hear my voice. You hear my cries for mercy. Whatever I am calling out to you, you hear. And so I will continue to do this. And so I'm starting out here just saying, God, I love you. And so then I almost see the flashback, all right? Okay, so what has brought us up to this point of I love you? And so in the story, there's a problem. And the problem is that life is overwhelming. Life is overwhelming. And maybe you're like, hey, this is going to apply to me. Life can be overwhelming. And so even in verse three, just one simple verse, we see the author writing this. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. So maybe you can picture just these cords of death just completely trapping you. Maybe you felt like you couldn't move your arms and legs, that whatever it was of life was continuing to trap you. Or even this idea of anguish, just of the pressure coming upon you, saying that I I am so overwhelmed, overcome with trouble and sorrow. And even as I read that, I almost picture this animal just in a pit. Like there's no way to get out. They are trying as hard as they can to jump or climb. They're making whatever noise it is to call out to anyone to come and rescue them. But there is no way out of the pit. Or maybe it's not a pit, but it's a trap. And so it's a cage or a net or a little snare that has got their leg and they are stuck. And they are doing whatever they can to get out. Yet there is no hope for escape, at least what they can see. And if David was the author of this psalm, maybe he's writing this as Saul is chasing him. Maybe the time that he's on the other side of the mountain coming close to him and he just feels like, I feel like everything is just continuing to collapse in on me. I feel like this is where I am in life, that it is completely overwhelming, that I feel like it is done for, like I am done for. And even as I use those words done for, like literally most of us have not gotten there in our life. The idea that, oh, I feel like my life was almost done. Maybe we had a moment, maybe we had a a time in our life that we could say, I did not think I was going to survive physically, those kind of things. But I think more just figuratively, we feel this idea that, man, I'm done for, or maybe an aspect of it. And so maybe if I'm looking at my marriage, I'm like, ah, like I just feel like this is done for. Some of you would go, I've seen that in my own life. There was this time that it was done, but maybe even right now you just have these feelings of we're trying and we're trying to work through things and communicate, but I just feel like it's done for at the moment. I'm overwhelmed. Or maybe it again goes to parents with kids and like you continue to try to teach them the things that you want them to know, that you want, you, you know that God wants them to know and the choices that they make just continually are not what you're teaching them and your heart just, it breaks. Like I'm done, like I don't know what else to do. Or maybe it's in your job and you just feel like you're at the end of the rope or maybe it's finances again and just everything is so tight and I am doing my best to budget and like try to figure out not spend on other things that I don't need, but it's just where is it gonna come from? Or maybe it has to do with like literally fixing stuff. Maybe at your house, maybe something is broken. So you spend time fixing it and then something else breaks. So then you fix it. Then something else breaks and you fix it. And then like one of the things you already fixed is broken now. And so you try to go back to fix it. And it's just like, it's weighing upon you. Or maybe it's even just the simple thing of like being nice to people. You are at the end of your rope. You have like no emotions left, no energy left. And I'm like, how can I be nice to people? Like, I literally just feel like I am done for in this moment. And maybe as I say that, you're like, I feel it. You connect with the psalmist as he just calls out, this is the problem. This is what life is like. In fact, even in verse 10 and 11, he says, I believed. Therefore, I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay, I said, all men are liars. So he even says, I am believing in God during all this. But even amongst that, do you hear him say that life is hard? Like, it's not just all, you know, unicorns, rainbows, whatever we want to say. Like, it's not just all going smoothly as I follow God. Life still continues just to try to beat me down. And yet, even though that's the problem, that life is hard, that it can be overwhelming at times, there's a solution. And so that's still part of our story is the person's like, I love God. Man, life was hard, but let me tell you the solution. The solution is that God is my deliverer. God is my deliverer. And as you read the psalm, you'd never read any kind of words that say anything like, well, I was the one who did it. Like, I figured it out. I worked hard enough. I was good enough. In no sense do you hear that from the psalmist. He continually comes back to this idea that God is the one who did it. God is the one that rescued me, that helped me out of my situation when life was overwhelming. And so, in fact, and you go to verse 4, it says, Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save me. Okay, so God, you are the one that can save me. In verse 5, you read, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. And so you read this idea of gracious and compassionate. God, you are the one that can come alongside me. In verse 6, it says, The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. And so God is the one who protects and he saves. Though the troubles are not necessarily gone, like they're not just out of my life, I can know that God has this. He has got it in his hands. He is the one that can deliver me. He is able to rescue me. And so he celebrates the name of God, the character of God, that you are compassionate, you are gracious, and he says, I will follow after you. Like in this moment, like I will remember who you are, even in the moments that I don't feel it. Man, that is good for us to remember. Because again, sometimes our feelings can be way off from what the truth is. And again, I've heard stories of of pilots who have been flying and they think that they are flying in the right direction or the right altitude, but something has caused their mind not to be completely right or something has just kind of been off. And so they need their instruments to be able to say, this is what the truth is. And in the moments that maybe our feelings are like, God, do you really have this amongst all of this crazy that is going on? As life is overwhelming, the truth can continue to yell out, yep, I've got it because God is our deliverer. And in fact, it talks about how he saves, he protects the simple hearted. Whenever you read that word simple in Psalms, it often talks about someone who is humble or who is teachable, sometimes who is very low, but just this idea of someone who is coming after me. God says, I will protect you. But even in this, as we're reading, you know, life was overwhelming and God saved me. It doesn't really state how. He just says, God, you saved me. But then we get to verses eight and nine. And in this text, it says, For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Okay, God, you have delivered me. You have delivered my soul from from death. Like that is the ultimate thank you. This thing that I cannot do myself, no matter how hard I try. You're the one who did it, but you didn't stop there. You also delivered my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. This idea of you made me alive, but you did not stop there. You then gave me a joy that I was searching for. You then gave me strength to be able to continue taking step after step after step. So you didn't just deliver me. You went way beyond, which makes me think about Jesus. Like, I don't know if you know the story about the the feeding of the 5,000, but this huge crowd is coming up to Jesus, and that's 5,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus says, okay, this is what we're going to do. I want you to have everyone sit down in groups of 50, and someone brings up a lunch. Here's five loaves of bread, two fish, and he asks God, you know, to bless it. And the food continues to go to people, continues to come, continues to come. And so everyone is full. But something that a lot of people don't know is when the entire meal is done, he sends the disciples to go around and get extras. What is left over? And they have 12 basketfuls of leftover food. So Jesus doesn't just meet the need. He goes abundantly beyond it. Or I think about the first miracle that we know about that he performs when he turns the water into wine. He's at a wedding, and in that day, weddings were multiple days, and if you ran out of anything, you know, wine things for the celebration, it would bring shame upon your family, which was a huge deal in their culture. And so Mary comes to Jesus and says, can you help this? And when he makes the wine, it is better than the wine that was served at the beginning. He goes above and beyond of what he has to do. He says, let me just show you the blessings. Or I even think about this man who had leprosy, who again has been shunned by everyone else. Everyone else wants to take a step away. I don't want any part to do with you. And he comes up to Jesus and says, if you're willing, will you heal me? And Jesus doesn't just say, be healed. He reaches out and he physically touches him. This physical touch that this man had been longing for. And we don't even know how long, but just wanting someone to touch them. Jesus goes above and beyond. And that's the kind of God that we serve, that he delivers us. He goes beyond just the the basic need to free us. In fact, then in verse 16, he simply says this, O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. Like I am no longer a prisoner. I have gotten to experience what it's like to be free again. God, you are my deliverer. I'm going to t- be honest, I don't use this word "deliver" very often in a day-to-day life. Like maybe it's like deliver a pizza, but like a deliverer, don't usually use that word. But I often think back to a Rich Mullen song that was just entitled My Deliverer. And the song is about, you know what, Joseph and Mary, they escaped. They went to Africa to get rid of, you know, to to flee Herod when he was killing all the babies two years old and, and under. And they're in Africa. And he says, I can just imagine Jesus standing along the Nile and he's listening to this song. He's hearing this song that the captive Israelites used to sing so many years ago that simply said that my deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by. And they've got this hope knowing that someone is going to come. And if you know the rest of the story, God rescued the Israelites from the Egyptians. And in verse number two, it even then just talks about the whole world and how like you just see everything breaking down and even just like, you know, um, with weather and how thing, hot things are and they're, they're calling out for water and all this, this because of sin, we don't live in a perfect world anymore and how even the healing will come from Jesus's own scars. The idea that he will be the deliverer that this whole world needs. And then at the end of the song, there's this one sentence. It's pretty powerful. It just says, I will never doubt his promise. Like God promises to be my deliverer. I will never doubt that. Even though he says I will doubt my eyes and I will doubt my heart. Like sometimes my feelings going around right now going, God, I don't know. It doesn't look like, you know, you're really going to deliver me. I look around at the world and I see the craziness. God, are you really going to do this? Says, you know what? I am not going to trust those things. Instead, I'm going to stand upon the promise of God that he says, "I am your deliverer. I will be here for you." And that is what I'm going to build my life upon. And so even in this story, the problem is that, you know what? Life is completely overwhelming. Oh, but the solution, the solution is that God is my deliverer, not just the deliverer. He is my deliverer. It is personal for you and I. So he's delivering us right now as we live on this earth, and he will deliver us for eternity. And all that brings us back up to the point that we started our story. I love God like, I love God. Here's my problem. Life is overwhelming. The solution is that God is my deliverer. So what happens from this point on? Well, there is a response. And one of the responses is simply just to be with God. We just need to be with God. In fact, I don't know if verse seven jumped out to you at all, but it simply says, be at rest once more. O my soul for the Lord has been good to you be at rest, be with him, catch your breath, allow his arms to wrap around you, even amongst the craziness, will you just sit with him? In fact, it says either because, you know, he has been good to you, some translations because he has dealt bountifully. And so this life that was once trembling because of everything that is going on around me, like I'm now at rest fear is not the thing that is winning out. I get to rest in him. And even in that verse, depending on your version, it either says return or once more, come back to this idea of rest. So you've gotten to experience this rest of God before, and then amongst whatever's going on in life, you feel the weight of it. It says, come back yet again. I will deliver you again and again and again. You can feel the rest that I want you to have. And so one of our responses is, God, you've got this life for me. May I just rest with you? And even as this idea of being with God, there's this verse 15, like I had not heard until just a few years ago and it was at a funeral and someone just quoted it, didn't say where it was. I'm like, are you serious? That's in the Bible. But yeah, verse 15, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, the death of those who are his believers. I'm like, why? Like, why did the psalmist write this? And here, this moment, this death is not the end of life for them. You know what? They now get to go and be with him for eternity. And their death was not trivial because their life was not trivial. It was lived with a purpose. And I think about how at this moment, that sometimes on this side of heaven, we can feel sorrow because someone else is taken from us. But at the same time, they are now delivered from every bit of evil. And they get to experience the fullness of victory and how precious that moment is to him of, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and be with me. Like, and I think about that. And sometimes we're afraid of what the world may do, what they may say, what they may physically do. Even the worst that the world could throw at you to take your life, it allows us to be with him. All of a sudden that causes life not to be quite so overwhelming. And I get to just be, just be with him, be myself in his arms man, God, I love you. And so I'm just going to spend time with you and let you handle it all. But then there is one other response and that is there is an action to take. And there's all sorts of actions depending on what may happen. But actions that the psalmist writes are this, like in verses 12, through 14. He says, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And so there's this action. It's not that I'm trying to earn it back. You know, I'm trying to earn your love, but it is a response of what you've done for me here. I want to do this. And there's this word repay in the NIV. Like you and I, we can never repay God. I mean, if you think about everything that he's done and you're like, okay, here's my feeble little attempt to pay back. That's not what it's talking about either. In fact, in some translations, it's this idea of what can I render? What can I return to you because of all that you've done to me? And so I'm going to lift up this cup of salvation. I'm going to give you every blessing that you've given to me. I turn around and give it back to you. I'm going to fulfill my vows. I'm going to keep the promises that I make to you, that I make to other people. I'm going to live this life that is full of integrity. Or even then down at verses 17 through 19, he says, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you, and I will call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So even there, he says, my action, God, I give you back a sacrifice. I continue calling out to you. Again, he says, I will fulfill my vows. He says, I will give you praise. Like, you want to know the end of the story? The end of the story of Psalm 116 is simply this, that I will give you glory for the rest of my life. That is what's going to happen. And it was interesting because even as I was reading them in different commentaries later on, one of them said, hey, I kind of like this idea. And they showed how there's this present tense, this idea that I love. There's this past. This is what God has done. And then there's this future. This is what I will do in response. The story of Psalm 116. And yet a couple things that I was just reading kind of looked at this idea of, again, we talked about the life overwhelming and the idea of being sorrowful. And when everything is kind of weighing upon you, Because again, sometimes that's what it can just feel like in the moment. And one author wrote these words. He said, times of sorrow should lead us towards God. Times of sorrow, when things aren't going well, it ought to lead us towards him. Like some people decide, okay, I'm going to blame him. God, why is this going on? And so I'm going to turn away from you. But what they should do is drive me towards him and allow his arms to be able to hold me and let him be the one to fix it, to deliver me. Let me find my strength in him. So if you're going through times of sorrow right now, make sure that you're turning towards him because he's big enough. And one other person wrote this, when cries become prayers, they are not in vain. When my cries become prayers, they are not in vain. And so in these moments of sorrow, when everything is overwhelming, when I lift them up to him, like it's not in vain because he is listening. He hears my voice, my cry for mercy. God, you listen. Thank you for that access. So even as I think about that, I think about that song that we sing sometimes called, Yes, I Will. It says, you know what? In the highs and the lows, I'm gonna continue to praise God. Whether you've fixed it right now or not, God, you are my solution. You are the deliverer amongst all the crazy. I trust you because you are faithful. And so we we sing that and that's what the psalmist is saying as well. But then I also think about the words of the song that we're about to sing, a song called Make Room. And basically it says, am I going to simply be with him? Like, am I going to hand over anything that may be just weighing me down and give it to him? Surrender it to him. Like, I can't fix it myself. It has to be him. And so maybe there's these lies, these doubts that are in my mind. God, let me give them to you. I love you. May I rest with you and you take care of it. Maybe there's sin, things that are just weighing you down. You're Like, I'm trying to fix this on my own and I can't do it. And you need to give it over to him. And that would be my encouragement or maybe simply even as you're still coming this morning you're like who is Jesus I need to understand this like I want this bountiful grace that he just pours out on you like I'm looking for hope and life and maybe you need him and during this time if there's prayer for anything or you want to know anything else about Jesus what does it mean to be a follower of him then I would encourage you to go to one of these decision points because God has this story for you I wonder what that would look like could you say God I love you And here's the difficulties, but you have continued to deliver me. So I will live for you and I will just live with you. So we give him praise and we look forward to how he's going to work our story in the future. If there's anything that you need prayer for, I encourage you to go to the decision point. Let's stand as we sing.